Hey, you guys, before we get started with this episode, we've got some exciting news to share with you. If you love the American Hauntings podcast, then this is your chance to be a part of it. During every episode, we mention that the podcast is just one part of American Hauntings, all of our books and our tours and our ghost hunts and events. And recently, we launched a brand new community on Patreon that gives you the chance to become an American Hauntings VIP. If you decide to do this, we've got tons of rewards. I get to send you all kinds of stuff in the mail, decals, buttons, shirts, all that good stuff. But we're going beyond that. So some of the reward levels include things like discounts from our online store, early access to events, private paranormal meetups at haunted places around the country, private ghost hunts, lectures, tours, even dinners, just for our subscribers. We're also gonna send you exclusive, privately printed books by Troy Taylor, not available to the public. And since you're a VIP, you're going to have free access to some of our events, including the Haunted America Conference. We're also including bonus episodes of this podcast, for subscribers only. So if you're one of those listeners who wishes the podcast was every week, this is your chance for new shows each week. Now, one of our goals is to try to upgrade the equipment that we use to produce the podcast. So as a listener, this is your chance to help us and to be a part of American Hauntings history. To get involved, just go to patreon.com slash American Hauntings or see the show info for the link. We hope to see you at one of our private subscriber events in the near future. To get involved, just go to patreon.com slash American Hauntings or just see the show info for the link. Now, on with the show. Bonnie had only been working at the Lint Mansion restaurant for a few weeks when she saw the ghost for the first and what turned out to be the last time. She had heard all the ghost stories from the other staff members and she'd seen the stories in the newspapers, but who believed those kind of things? She was sure it was all just for the publicity. A house that had the kind of history that the Lint Mansion did was a great setting for Halloween spookiness, but no one over the age of 12 actually believed any of those stories were true. Bonnie certainly didn't. It was all a bunch of nonsense. It was Sunday morning, and the staff was setting up for the restaurant's famous family-styled fried chicken dinner. It was a bright summer morning. The sun was shining into the front windows. A few other servers were bustling around, wrapping silverware and setting up tables. From the kitchen downstairs, Bonnie could hear the murmur of voices, the sound of running water, the banging of pots and pans. There was a shout, some laughter, the closing of a door. In other words, it was a typical Sunday morning at a popular restaurant in St. Louis that had not yet opened for business. Bonnie hurried out of the bar area with an armload of silverware that had been rolled into napkins. She was on her way to one of the rear dining rooms when she stopped in her tracks. A customer was sitting at one of the tables. She was a little surprised because, as far as she knew, the front door was still locked. Well, how had he gotten in? Well, somehow he had, and now the dark-haired man seemed to be waiting expectantly for service. Bonnie supposed she could ask him to leave, but that really wasn't in her nature. And said she'd explain that he would have to wait for dinner service to start, but she would offer him something to drink. So Bonnie placed the silverware she was carrying onto a table and walked into the dining room. 
With a smile, she explained to the man at the table that they were not yet open for business, but she could get him a cup of coffee or perhaps a glass of iced tea. Well, the man didn't reply. In fact, he didn't even look at her. Bonnie took a step closer, preparing to ask again in a louder voice, and when she did, she looked away, but only for a second. When she looked back at the man, he was gone. The seat at the table was empty. The chair had not been moved for someone to even sit down. In less than two seconds, the man had simply vanished. It was impossible, but it happened. Bonnie never got over her encounter with one of the Limp Mansion's resident ghosts. That Sunday turned out to be her last day working there. She put in her notice, and she never went back. She decided, she explained, to find a job in a place where the clientele was still among the living. Welcome to the latest episode of American Hauntings, the podcast dedicated to the history, hauntings, legends, and lore of America's past. Hosted by Cody Beck and Troy Taylor, our second season explores the history, mystery, and hauntings of St. Louis, Missouri, the most haunted city along the Mississippi River. This is the sixth and final installment in our series within a series about the hauntings and history of the Limp family of St. Louis. If you're tuning into the podcast for the first time, we recommend you go back to episode 19, start the series there. It serves as an introduction to the Limp family and their importance in St. Louis history. As we wrap up this part of the series, we'll be delving into the haunted history of the mansion that the Limp family once called home. After the initial haunted history portion of the episode, I'll be talking about some of my personal encounters with strange happenings at the house, which is considered to be one of the most haunted places in the country. The Limp Mansion has always played an important role in the history and legend of the Limp Empire, even though it was not originally built to be their family home. The house had actually been built in 1868 for William Limp's father-in-law, Jacob Feichert. As the Limp Brewery grew and expanded, William built this house, as well as another one for his stepmother, near the brewery. In time, William, Julia, and their children moved into the mansion, and it became their residence as well as an auxiliary brewery office. Although it was already an impressive place, William had the 33-room home renovated into a showplace of the Gilded Age. Always fascinated by new technology, William continued adding on to the house for the rest of his life. A radiator system was installed in 1884, only five years after radiant heat was invented. The grand staircase was removed to install an open-air elevator. William's bathroom was dominated by a glass-enclosed freestanding shower that William saw in an Italian hotel and had shipped back to St. Louis. At the rear of the house, he installed three massive fireproof vaults where the limp stored their art collections, and behind the parlor, 
he had an atrium built for Julia that was filled with tropical plants and exotic birds. In 1911, the house was remodeled again when it was turned into offices for the brewery. Then it was remodeled yet again in 1929 when Charles moved back home. After Charles's suicide, the mansion was sold and turned into a boarding house. By the 1940s, the house and the surrounding neighborhood were in pretty bad decline. But stories circulated about the boarding house that was once the Lent Mansion. Residents complained of hearing footsteps throughout the house and on the stairs and hearing someone knocking on their door very early in the morning. When they answered, no one was there. It makes you wonder if Charles was still alerting his guests by way of the mandatory 5 a.m. wake-up knock, doesn't it? Whatever the source of the eerie sounds, the story spread throughout the neighborhood and it became increasingly hard to find tenants to occupy the rooms. Thanks to this, the former Lint Mansion was rarely filled. The house's decline continued until 1975 when Richard Pointer and his family purchased it. The Pointers began remodeling and renovating the place, working for many years to turn it into a combination restaurant and inn. But they soon discovered they were not alone in the house. The remodeling began in earnest in the late 1970s, and during this time, contractors reported that ghostly events were occurring in the mansion. Almost all of them confessed that they believed the house was haunted and told a feeling as though they were being watched. They also spoke of hearing unexplained sounds and complained of tools that vanished and then returned to different places from where they had been left. At one point in the renovations, a painter was brought in to work on some of the ceilings. He stayed in the house overnight while he completed the job. One day, he ran downstairs to tell one of the pointers that he'd heard the sounds of horses' hooves on the cobblestones outside his window one night. Richard Pointer convinced the painter he was mistaken. There were no horses and no cobblestones outside the house. Well, in time, the man finished the ceilings and left, but the story stayed in Richard's mind. Later on that year, he noticed that some of the grass in the yard had turned brown. He dug it up and found that beneath the top level of soil was a layer of cobblestones. During the Limp's residency in the house, that portion of the yard had been a drive leading up to the carriage house. During the restorations, Richard's son Dick lived alone in the house and became quite an expert on the ghostly manifestations. One night he was lying in bed reading when he heard a door slam loudly in another part of the house. While no one was supposed to be there and he was sure he'd locked the place up tight, fearing that someone might have broken in, he and his dog, a Doberman named Shadow, decided to look around. Shadow was obviously on edge. The dog had also heard the slamming door and had her ears turned up listening for any other noise. They searched the entire house but found no one there. Every door was locked, just as Dick had left them. The incident repeated itself several times. Each time he searched the house and every time the place was empty. After the restaurant opened, staff members began to report their own odd experiences. Glasses were seen to lift off the bar and fly through the air. Sounds were often heard that had no explanation, and some claimed to see apparitions in the hallways and on the stairs. And it wasn't just the staff members. Customers also reported weird incidents. Doors locked and unlocked on their own, the piano in the bar played by itself, voices and sounds came from nowhere, and the ghost of a woman began to be regularly reported. One night in August 1981, Dick and an employee were working in the bar after hours and were startled to hear a piano play a few notes by itself. There was no one around it at the time, and in fact, no one else was in the entire building. That same piano continued to be the source of eerie occurrences over the years. No matter where it was placed in the house, whether in an upstairs hallway or in a guest room, it reportedly played without the touch of human hands. That's an event I can vouch for. I've heard it. 
The ghostly atmosphere of the house has attracted many visitors over the years, but it's also scared away some of the employees. One of them was the witness in the story that was recounted in the episode's opening. That was a true experience that really happened to one of the staff members, and she left after that day to find work in a non-haunted location. Well, thanks to his reputation, the house has attracted ghost hunters and writers, myself included, from all over the country. Most were lured to the place by the publicity the house received as a haunted location. The mansion has appeared in scores of magazines, newspaper articles, books, and television shows over the years, first gaining national attention in November 1980, when Life magazine included it in an article entitled, Terrifying Tales of Nine Haunted Houses. The first local notoriety gained by the mansion as a haunted place can be traced back to the 1970s when it was investigated by the Haunt Hunters, who we've talked about in earlier episodes of the podcast. Phil Goodwilling and Gordon Honer researched paranormal events in haunted locations around the St. Louis area. And as we'll talk about in a later episode, they may have been the basis for the film Ghostbusters. But in the 1970s, they learned about many of their cases while teaching a class on the supernatural at St. Louis University. One semester, they promised students they would take them to a real haunted place and decided that the Lint Mansion fit the bill. In October 1979, they brought the class to the house and invited a local television crew to come along with them. They spent the entire night at the house using planchettes, like the pointers used with a Ouija board but with a pencil on the tip to write out messages from the spirit world to try and make contact with the resident ghosts. The results of the evening were chilling, especially after one group of students who had no knowledge of the house's history received a message from a spirit who identified himself as Charles. He asked the students to help him reach Edwin. Goodwilling later noted that these four students were the most skeptical in the class. In addition, no one who was present that night, with the exception of himself, Gordon Honer, and Dick Pointer, had any idea that Charles had committed suicide there. At the time, the history of the house had not been yet widely publicized. By the time the seance was over, those four students were no longer the most skeptical in the class. Stories of ghosts at the Lint Mansion date back many years, but the haunting has not faded with time. The Pointer family accept the haunting as simply a part of the house's unusual ambiance. Paul Pointer helps to maintain the place as a popular restaurant and inn, and he explains that he accepts the ghosts as just another part of the unique mansion. People come here expecting to experience weird things, he said, and fortunately for us, they're rarely disappointed. I first heard about the Lint Mansion and its hauntings back in the early 1990s when the first and usually wildly inaccurate stories began to appear in the first few ghost books that were available in those days. I first stayed at the mansion around 1993 and have visited many times since then, and like many others, have rarely been disappointed. I've had a number of personal experiences in the house that I would certainly explain as encounters with ghosts. I think I've had every type of stereotypical ghost encounter you may have read about at the Lint Mansion. Cold spots, knocking sounds, footsteps, voices, and the list goes on. There have been a few experiences there that have stood out more than others, though, and I'll talk about those in a minute. But perhaps my favorite secondhand story, of which I was somewhat involved, happened in 2003 when I invited my friend Leslie Rule, a fellow ghostwriter and the daughter of crime author Anne Rule, to come to Alton, Illinois to speak at an event that I was hosting there. She'd wanted to stay somewhere haunted while in the area, and I helped her to make arrangements to stay at the Lint Mansion for several nights. She was really excited at the prospect until she called to make reservations and was told that she would have the mansion 
all to herself during the stay. Leslie was not as enthused about sleeping in a haunted house alone, and she asked me if I knew of anyone who might consider staying with her. I suggested she contact a friend of mine named Anita, and together they planned an overnight at the mansion. Anita and her 22-year-old daughter Amy picked up Leslie at the airport, and all of us met for dinner. Anita and Amy had stopped by the mansion before dinner, picked up the keys, and turned on the lights in their rooms as a test, Amy explained. Since the lights in the empty house had a reputation for turning themselves off and on, she wanted to see what would happen. When we went back to the house after dinner and found that some of the lights were no longer on, though, she nervously dismissed this as someone playing a joke on them. I wouldn't find out how scared Amy was about staying in the house until after I talked to her and Anita a few days later. Leslie later told me that Amy was very tentative about exploring the house with her and that it took some urging to get her into some of the creepier parts like the dark and ominous attic, which had not yet been remodeled in those days. To make matters worse, their flashlight batteries unexpectedly went out while they were in the attic, unsettling Amy even further. But as it turns out, perhaps Amy had a good reason to be unsettled. A number of women who have worked in the house and have stayed the night there have had encounters with a female spirit or have heard someone calling their names. Some believe this spirit may be that of Elsa Limp, who, while she did not die in the house, spent a large part of her life there. They were her happiest times, and perhaps she has returned there seeking peace after her death. Regardless of who the spirit might be, though, many women have encountered her, and as it turns out, including Amy. A few days after her nerve-wracking stay, Amy told me that she had been trying to go to sleep next to her mother in their room on the second floor and was having trouble dozing off. After tossing and turning for a while, she turned over and was terrified to see a woman in a long dress standing next to the bed. The woman looked very real, but there was no way she could have gotten into the room through the locked door. Well, before Amy could do or say anything, the woman leaned toward her, placed a finger to her lips in a shushing motion as if to tell Amy to be quiet and go to sleep. The woman then simply vanished. Well, needless to say, Amy didn't go to sleep. In fact, she didn't sleep for the rest of the night. Well, as Paul Porner once said, those who come to the Limp Mansion are rarely disappointed, and I'd have to agree. While not all of my stays at the old house have been eventful ones, at least when it comes to ghosts, I must admit that the vivid sense of history that I've experienced at the place more than makes up for the lack of anything supernatural. If you're a ghost enthusiast or a history lover, I encourage you to visit the mansion of the once mighty Limp family. Their empire may have crumbled long ago, but there's still much to experience as you soak up the ambiance of the days gone by. Have you ever wanted to learn a new language? And I don't mean like spells or incantations to trap spirits, you weirdos. I mean like a new language that could help you start communicating with more people on this plane today. Then I need to tell you about Rosetta Stone. Look, you know the brand, you know the name. They have the expertise and a 30-year legacy, which makes them more qualified than ever to help you learn a new language today. They've helped millions of people build the fluency and confidence to speak new languages. Now, this is the part where Troy would tell me that I made some kind of grammatical error, but he's not here right now, so like, I don't know, it's like speaking tongues. Rosetta Stone focuses on speaking practice for real-life scenarios to get you ready for real conversations with real people. Or maybe you can even learn how to use some different types of Ouija boards. I don't know. Either way, Rosetta Stone can help you learn faster and retain your new language 
better. Honestly, Rosetta Stone really would have come in handy for season four of New Orleans because I know we butchered some of those French names and I apologize once again. Now you all know I have a nine to five job when I'm not at the podcast factory and Rosetta Stone actually helped me not make a total fool out of myself while I was in Brazil interviewing celebrities. Obrigado. And now I want to help you. So don't put off learning that new language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, American Hauntings podcast listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com today today. Rosetta Stone, how language is learned. Wait, by the way, Troy, like where do words come from? Hey, no, don't, 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 don't walk away. Oh, Troy, where do words Richard Pointer convinced the painter he had to be mistaken. There were no horses. <laughs> oh, man. Horses. Horses. Horses, I tell ya. Yeah. During the restorations, Richard's son's dead. <laughs> Damn it. During the Richard... <laughs> During the Richardson's... <clears throat> During the renovations, Richard's son, Dick, lived alone... Did I still mess it up? I still did, didn't I? Oh, well. <clears throat> good yep all right welcome to american hauntings podcast where we discuss history hauntings legends lore and all things paranormal you are listening to episode 24 which is the 11th episode of season two which delves into the hauntings of st louis missouri i'm your co-host cody beck and with me my co-host is author historian crime buff and founder of american hauntings troy taylor so are you relieved now that, that we're, we're, almost we're done? at the end of the limps. I, so, yes. Yes. I thought you probably would be. So it was one of those things that I I hated to give up. You know, I, I hated to let it go, but uh, we we finally got to the end of the story. Well, it's such and, a positive um, story. I can understand why it'd be hard <laughs> right? for so you uplifting, to... It's so uplifting, right? Yeah. Yeah, these poor people. Motivational. Yeah, very uplifting. So, but but it was fun. You have to admit it was a fun. Oh, yeah. It, it was, was a fun Fun run of episodes. I it's think. great. It's great. It was very depressing um, in <laughs> a lot of parts. Suicides, but you know, all kinds of suicide stuff. Suicide so, spirits, you know. You know? Right. <laughs> well, anyway, um, I'm glad that we have finally reached a conclusion to the limps, and we'll move on to some other things um, as things kind of shake out here with the summer, because I think um, after this episode, I think we're going to be moving into the Haunted America Conference. And this is the last episode that you're going to hear before the conference. And then after that, it's going to be, you know, we'll, we'll probably post our conference episode as our next episode. Uh, we'll probably have a couple of um, oddball episodes in there somewhere before we get right back into St. Louis again. Because um, in addition to the conference, we've got some other stuff going on, some, some uh, trips, vacations, slash you know, things going on that, that are going to kind of 
you know, we don't want to take a break. You know, a lot of the podcasts I listen to and, and great podcasts will take a break for months at a time. We're not going to do that to you, but um, I can tell you, we probably will not get right into our next St. Louis episode because to be honest with you, I'm going to need some time to just sit and cry yeah, over ending after em- yeah. ending all these limp episodes. So I'm going to need a breather. So, uh, but if you are hearing me talk about the conference, um, that is coming up June 22nd, 23rd. And by the time, you know, you're hearing this, this is your absolute last chance because as of which I believe is, um, June 18th, that is your last chance to get tickets to the conference in advance and get discount tickets because after that, the price is going to go up. You will only be able to get them at the door. So if you haven't gotten your tickets by the time you hear this, um, you're going to want to really seriously get on it. And that's that's assuming we'll have something left because we are recording this just a little in advance. So chances are, you know, I don't know. I can't guarantee we're going to have anything, but I hope we will. And if we do, you really want to get them in advance rather than get them at the door. Right. And just a reminder, if you like the podcast, um, you know, this podcast is just one smaller piece of a larger universe. And, and a the lot of conference it, is a big part. It of that. really. Yeah. yeah it a is. lot of this really builds up to the conference. So if you like what we're doing here, you like these stories and, you know, you think we might be fun to hang out with. The conference is where you want to be <laughs> or not or not. If you want to avoid <laughs> us, then yet yeah, don't come yeah, to the conference. Yeah. But uh, that's really the big the big thing that uh, I want to promote. Yeah, We're going to be doing a live recorded podcast at the at the at the, the conference itself this year. Uh, during our Strange Stuff session on Friday night, which is a, kind of a way for people who attend the conference to kind of share their stories and their ideas and things that they have going on um, with us. And that's going to become an episode of the podcast coming up uh, at, toward the end of June. So um, if you want to take part in that, uh, be there. Um, and regardless, even if you don't want to take part in that, come by. Uh, the the vendor booth, Cody will have a booth for the podcast. Um, we're going to have our American Hauntings podcast stickers, which you can our decals you can yep. only get at the conference. Um, Cody will have those at the table, and I think they're probably going to go pretty quick. So uh, make sure that you stop by and and visit the booth and visit pick up a pick up a decal. Uh, stop by our booth. We'll have the uh, you know the the entire store will be there at the the conference. Uh, we'll also have a lot of stuff that you might not be able to get um, online because there's just maybe not enough of it. So we kind of bring it to the conference to 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 get rid of it. Um, and don't forget about the raffle this year. I, we haven't really talked about that. We haven't. Um, so I know you guys pretty much every year have a contest amongst yourselves. To what's see a who, raffle? Who, well, sorry, well, you, but yeah. amongst yourselves, to see who can collect oh, the see. craziest stuff oh, yeah. for the raffle. Yeah. And Last year a, I won a Ouija board, and oh, there was much crazier stuff there. Than yeah, that. we've got some Ouija boards this year. We've also got um, a lot of haunted objects, oddball, odds and ends. Um, you know, uh, we have, um, you know, embalming kits uh, from funeral homes. There was an uh, exorcism we, kit last, yeah, the last from, year. From a yeah, we have a uh, ventriloquist doll, like a vintage one, you know, which, which will which will wake up while you're sleeping. And, you know, that's, uh, <laughs> right. and we, you know, we've got postmortem photographs. We've got um, all the good stuff. mortuary items. Um, the, the uh, the morning item made from human hair. Uh, we've got a lot of cool stuff this year. It's gonna be. I I can't wait. I mean, we try to make the the raffle bigger and better every single year, but I'm I'm gonna say this year is definitely gonna be the biggest. Oh, and Renee um, has designed 
not only a Ouija table this year, but also one that you can hang on your wall, a big, massive size Ouija. Nice. It's going to be some, we've got some cool stuff lined up for this year. That's awesome. So it's going to be fun. Right. And I don't know exactly um, how this is going to work yet, but I'm, I'm probably planning on having people be able to stop by our booth or my table and tell me their haunted stories and crazy stuff and we record them and use them for some yeah, bonus absolutely. stuff. So if you're around, I don't know exactly how it's going to work yet, but please yeah, stop come by. Come tell us a story. Yeah, come yeah, tell me a story. For sure. I've got some stories for you, Cody. Yeah? <laughs> I'll stop by. Do tell. Yeah. Well, I wanted to say, too, about the raffle. Uh, there Lisa, are... Lisa is here, by the way. With this. Well, they well, figured that out that. already. They probably figured it out. They never introduce me, you guys. I get no respect. But (laughs) I just make sure they uh, have their act together. But um, I wanted to say, too, about the raffle, that there are some things that are in um, our office right now that I really need to get out of there, Um, i.e. haunted candlesticks that need to be yours and they need to be in your house. The dead man's suit. I don't think that it is haunted, but I'm not... I'm no longer comfortable with this yeah, being a have, part of our office. That someone gave us that were um, part of an aunt, I believe an aunt or a great aunt's seance room. And so she had these candlesticks in there and I got them from her. And um, she's always said, I think there's some kind of weird energy about them. Well, yeah, no kidding. I hadn't even, I hadn't told Lisa that I had them. And she's like, okay, what is going on? There's Something's something here. Something weird here in and this room. And I'm as psychic right as after, the table our computer's right sitting on, but right that, yeah. what was it's happening? It's been bothering me. Nothing it's just, just an energy that's line. really bothering oh, me. Oh, bad juju? Yeah, there's bad mm. juju that I couldn't, you know, walk backwards a couple times to get rid of. Right, it was like right. just there. No amount of sage burned was no. getting rid of this. Well, we did have to burn some sage <laughs> for one else. item. We told that story, right? I don't know. I don't know. No, that was on our uh, Facebook Live. Yeah, no, we drink a lot during this podcast. I'm going to give that back to you if you want to tell about that. Yeah, I want to tell them too that a couple of our other items that I can't wait for them to go home with you. The post mortem (laughs) photograph, while I'm totally cool with the tradition of it. It is a very good one. It's beautiful. It's lovely. And it needs to be in your <laughs> possession and not mine any longer. The dead man suit. And then also a recent addition from my own collection, uh, a morning dress that I I didn't wear in mourning. Thank goodness. But I did wear and I'm going to donate to the raffle this year. So this could be yours. And you can wear it either as a costume or you can go really overboard for your next uh, visitation if you need to. Yeah, I'd forgotten about the the object. We had ordered, or we had we had somebody had. Uh, it was weird. I bought an item. It was gifted. And yeah. What? Never been but what was yet. what was it that did it come with? I can't it remember. Came with, uh, it wasn't a Ouija board, but it was. Uh, oh, it was the magic eye. It was yeah. the divination. It was this divination thing from the forties, and it was a this but vintage it wasn't piece. Just that. Yeah. There were some they sent they sent this in a package with this magic eye divination thing that you use like a pendulum with kind mm-hmm. of thing and it it's old i mean it was from the 40s and it's it's part of the raffle but they also included when they sent it to me they also included like some um like religious tracks and stuff that went with it and then they sent this 
I don't know how to describe it. It was a crystal and it was like sort of like a lens or something. But it was it was like a, a mirror that you would use for like fortune telling and it came with it and they stuck it in there. And we didn't order it. It came all wrapped up. It was wrapped up in paper and tied with string, which turned out to be kind of important. It should have. But instead I'm like, ooh, a something. So I just tear into it. But it you're right. It's kind of like a, ooh, a crystal ball because it was concaved yeah. on both sides right. but fit in the palm of your hand. So perhaps it was like your traveler's edition of the of crystal, crystal ball. On the go. Yeah. Right. On the go. But for the on the go. But it was wrapped second. in paper and tied with string, which I thought, well, that was weird. I didn't understand why. So we got this thing, and not long after we had it, we had a lot of just, I mean, it was just weird. It was just weird things going on. It was a weird vibe. And I'm not, you know, as Lisa said, I'm as psychic as this table. I'm less psychic than that. I don't ever claim to be psychic, but there was something about this, you know, right after we got this thing and we did, we, and I'm telling you this, but we didn't put two and two together for a while. Um, but things just seemed really weird around the office. And finally I sent a message to, uh, Rosemary Ellen Guiley, who is, uh, she is, a presenting a couple of workshops this year at the conference. And I always say about Rosemary that she is one of those people that she has written a book about, you know, everything from A to Z, you know, that kind of thing from angels to zombies is what I always tell everybody. She seems to have a, a real knack for everything. And, and we didn't, we still really hadn't put anything together. It was actually Andrea Holman um, who does, she does a lot of readings and stuff. She comes to a lot of our events. She was at Dead of Winter and she'll be at the conference and she does readings for people. And um, no matter how you feel about that kind of thing, Andrea has always been really like on the money for a lot of people. I mean, she's really on the ball for people. And she had told Lisa, and I don't think you had asked for a reading. I think she just I sort didn't. of gave in it fact, to you I kind said, of thing. No, thank you. Yeah, she, <laughs> said, she gave it to no, you anyway. There's something, there's she, something in your office. Of I'm glad right. That she did. Right. So it wasn't, you know. So it was kind of one of those order. there's something in your office and, you know, and while we had been kind of feeling that there was something odd going on anyway, so we kind of narrowed things down to this weird crystal thing that had been sent to us. So I, I'd asked Rosemary about it and she said, oh yeah, that sounds exactly what it is. She goes, but she says, it sounds like it's pretty low key. So the best thing to do about it, and here's the, here was the clincher. She said, the best thing to do about it was to take this object, wrap it in paper and tie it with string and bind it the way someone had sent it to us. And she said, you can give it to somebody if you want. She said, but my suggestion would be just to make sure it's destroyed. Put it into the garbage, make sure it goes to the dump. And as long as it's, you know, tied with paper and string, you're, it, it'll all be okay. So somebody passed the buck to you. Somebody passed the buck to us, and then we passed it to the garbage man. I'm hoping that he didn't pick it up. So I'm going to guess he didn't. Uh, but... So not everything that we end up getting for the raffle is always good. Mm -hmm. um, so that was an oddball thing. Um, and, you know, I don't think we've only ever the years ever had a couple of things. We've had people who've come back to us with stories of things they've taken home for the conference and said, oh, yeah, well, we started having these weird knocking sounds in our house or, or whatever, that kind of thing. We had a an urn one year that had someone's ashes still in it. And I don't know whose they were. Um, but we had one of our regulars take that home and tell me that 
they started hearing knocking sounds in their house. But normally the people who come to the conference, um, that's a bonus. I mean, that's they got, they got a raffle ticket, they got an item, and the ghost that came with it was a bonus. Yeah. So, but yeah, we've got we've got a lot of stuff this year uh, from Ouija boards to. Um, as Lisa said, the, the dead man suit. Um, it does not come in a heart-shaped box. Bonus points if you know what that means. But um, it's just one of those Google things. Yeah, it's you can. Yeah, because the, the book is awesome. I was like, so, is this a Nirvana reference? Well, I... there is the heart-shaped box song by Nirvana, and I think that's where the title of the book came from. But if you read the book, you will not be sorry. That all is right. one of my favorite books of all time. I will check In fact, it out. it's right over there on the shelf behind you. So, it is. I yeah, see it. It is one of the best books ever. Joe um, Hill. So anyway, we... Um, so come to the conference. I guess that's my thing. This is my yes. last chance to beg you to get signed up for the conference before mm-hmm. the conference gets here. You will not be sorry. Um, we, we have a very limited number of seats left, and this is, the, this is the event of the year. I mean, it's a lot of fun. We have a blast with it. And I'm really excited about it getting here, and then I'll be really sorry when it's over. Yep. I always am every year. So we have to plan a trip every year once it's over to get over our sadness of the fact that it's over. It's a lot of work, but it's a lot of fun. It, I'm really And excited. we'll already be planning for, you know, the, the conference ends on. I, I know. Well, we are. Yeah, we already started for, for 2019. So it's. Um, you know, as soon as it's over, we start planning for next year. But we we really love it. It's it's a fun event. So. Yeah, I'm I'm really excited for it. I actually I haven't told you two this yet, but my plan is. I mean, I'm obviously very skeptical a lot of times, but I like to be what I would call actively skeptic. So I'm not just sitting there, you know, being a jerk. <laughs> um, so my plan is, I want to go and partake and go to all of the readings that I can at the conference and be as open-minded as I can and just see what happens yeah, why not? and talk about sure, and talk about not, it afterwards and, and I'll just let people know what happened, how I viewed it. I'll, I will not be mean or snarky or anything. I'll be very open-minded and uh, I'm just really excited to kind of see what happens because I saw a lot of that going on around me at the conference right, last right. year. Right, right. Well, you know, no and idea. we have a lot of after-hour events at the conference too. Um, I mean, we've got some that I think that people would really enjoy. Uh, we've got uh, April doing one on, um, you know, death traditions and such mm-hmm. um, connected to the book that's coming out. Um, and she's got a workshop and I know that Sherry Brake has a workshop that's going on too. And that's about dowsing, which literally just about anyone can do. I don't know if you know much about it or not. Um, that's how in the old days, well, I say in the old days, but people still do it. Sounds um, you can find water. Oh no, no, it's not. It's, um, you can use like dowsing rods or like a, a stick and find water Oh, you know, okay. you know what I'm talking yeah, you've about? Seen the cartoons when you were younger, and it's like a that well, Y-shaped. Most electric, stick. like electric companies and people they, right and now, they, they still do it. They, they still, still do it. Do it. It's, 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 I am okay. Yeah. I am it 100%. It wasn't just a funny thing in a cartoon. Like it's yeah. I'm, legit. I'm very skeptical of this. I want to learn more about well, it. It's it's really interesting because people find not only do they find like um, sources of water and stuff, but people will also use it to find like unmarked graves. They'll use it to find. Um, you know, buried treasure. Even How? I mean, they use dowsing. That's the question. I mean, that's I got to go to this event, mystery, I guess, to, to so, understand. Uh, so I mean, and Rosemary's got there. She does a, an event with uh, black mirrors, uh, where people can kind of uh, communicate with the dead. I mean, that's the theory behind mm-hmm. it. 
Um, and that's that's a whole story in itself that maybe I'll save for an episode after the conference uh, because I decided to try that one time years and years ago. Yeah. Tried to set up what they called a psychomantium. Uh, that to sounds communicate. safe. Yeah. Oh, well, it, it really um, it turned out to be a very weird experience. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot of cool stuff that goes on. It's not just people giving lectures and it's not just vendors and tables and mm-hmm. stuff. I mean, it's in fact, we tried it to make the point of that's not what our conference is about. Yeah. It's not a convention. It's not a bunch of, you know, you know, dip wads that have a, we're on a TV show once that want to sign a photograph for you. It's right. not like that. It's, it's, it's a speaker based event. And we've got, you know, some of the, like, you know, we've got some really top name people who are coming to give presentations mm-hmm. at this event. Um, Sarah Chavez from the order of good death. I mean, she really, uh, she's talking about, um, ghosts and and which is great she's talking about ghosts and how um food figures into our connection with the spirit world all right colin dickey who wrote the book ghostland uh robert damon schneck who has done a bunch of stuff and if you go on to amazon prime i think it's amazon prime not netflix there's a a movie called the bye-bye man that's actually based on one of his books um so there's a there's a lot of people who are coming. We don't we don't do like a lot of the, you know, TV show people that mm-hmm. don't have anything to say. We we try to to bring in people who are actual researchers who really have, you know, material, things to talk about, not the last time I was on a TV show. That's not really our thing. Right. And um Anyway, enough, enough. We should stop. Well, we, sh- um, we come, should come see the live broadcast. Come to the conference. If this hasn't convinced you, nothing's going to. So we'll we'll drop it and move on from there. And you you can hear what we do at the conference after it's over. Right. So, and I will go. just say there was every walk of life there last time, and people that believed, people that didn't. There were Absolutely. devout Catholics. There were atheists. There were. I loved it because it was such a diverse group of people. Anyone is welcome and accepted, and it, it was it's great. So Absolutely. I hope to see you there. Yeah. Absolutely. So anyway, before we get started with the rest of the show, um, let's let's take a quick break. If you've been enjoying the St. Louis episodes of the podcast, you might also enjoy the new edition of my book, Haunted St. Louis, which lets you to take a deeper dive into these stories, plus a lot more stories that we can't cover on the podcast. And coming soon, um, in fact, it's going to be released at the conference and then will be available on June 26th is April Slaughter's book, Disconnected from Death, which I was a co-author on. It's a look at America's death customs and rituals from embalming to post-mortem photography, uh, which I think all of our listeners are going to enjoy. Just remember that as an American Hauntings podcast listener, you always get 10% off your orders from our online store by using the promo code PODCAST when you're checking out. And you could see the show notes for the link. Now, on with the show. So now, so now we're getting into the ghost stories. We're getting into the good stuff people want to hear. So Limp Mansion is eventually turned into a boarding house. Right, right. Well, it, it, it you know, after Charles's death, it was kind of one of those things, I think, that Edwin had wanted to sell it before Charles ever moved in. Yeah. After Billy had died, he wanted to get rid of it and just divest of the, the problem. Mm-hmm. And um, Charles said no. He wanted to move in. He wanted to live there. He'd lived there most of his life till Billy, I you know, decided to turn it into offices. And um, and I think that Edwin always felt that that sort of made his brother's problems worse mm-hmm. living in this house. 
but after he died, uh, they turned, he sold it off and it was turned into a boarding house because by that time the neighborhood was not good. Um, you know, there, there was no, you know, the, the things shift and change, you know, St. Louis, like any other city. Um, and that whole Soulard area became pretty rough, Mm uh, by the 1950s up until not that long ago when it started to revitalize, that was a pretty, pretty rough area. I mean, I think that even in the seventies, when the pointers decided to try to turn it into something, yeah. Um, that was still, that was a questionable business plan mm-hmm. at the time. I um, mean, I think they had a good location with a good history behind it. And I think that's what made it work. Uh, but it's kind of like, you know, the, the Bissell mansion, you know, on, on the North side. Yeah. That's, that's a sketchy area. I mean, it, it, it can't be helped. That's, that's how it is. That's just how it is. And that's how Soulard was at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and it didn't come back until the last decade or so. Right. And so, you know, turning it into a boarding house was kind of like you find a lot of historic homes in any town. I don't know where you're listening to this from, but anybody who's listening, you know, has probably got historic homes in a district or town that have been turned into apartment buildings. And this was the same kind of thing. Yeah. It was the, you know, it would have been turned into apartments if the Pointers hadn't bought it in 75. Mm-hmm. Uh, but instead, in 1949, 19, early 1950s, it was a boarding house. Right. Same basic idea. So. Yeah, so seven, okay, seventy five. Richard Pointer turns it into a restaurant in an inn. Well, they started on it. That's when they, they bought it, it, and they okay. began working on it through the next few years. And it really wasn't an inn. It, it was a while before it became a restaurant first, mm-hmm. and it took a while. I mean, they they worked on it over time, and even even after, like in the early nineties, I think was the first time that I had stayed there. And there were only a few rooms available at the time, and there was no air conditioning mm. at the time either. Uh, window units, that's all we had. In fact, I'm not even sure we had window units the first time I stayed. I, it's been a while. Um, but over time, they have continued to renovate the house. Mm-hmm. And for many years, um, when I was staying there, the attic was completely unfinished. It was, you know, like it had been when it was rooms for uh, the staff, uh, but yet kind of fallen apart because, of course, there hadn't been staff there in 50 years. Um, So things were a lot rougher. And so a lot of the stories that I've got, you know, took place in that attic before it was ever, you know, refurbished. I mean, it's it's beautiful now. They've got, like, you know, luxury bathrooms and, you know, really nice rooms and stuff in the Mm -hmm. attic, but it didn't used to be that way. Right. And and we're going to dive into all Troy's stories, I promise. (laughs) But I do want to talk a little bit about the attic. Um, I was... Every time we do an episode, you know, with a topic, I research it as much as I can. I usually read your books and source material. I'll also get on YouTube and try and find videos and then comments yeah, and things like that. Yeah. There's a video out there. I'm not going to talk about anybody that it is involved, but you could probably find it. But there's something I want to address because <laughs> there's a man that calls, calls himself parapsychologist. I hear that term all the time. I hate that term. I that know. all of a sudden well, it makes there me are, upset. There are a few out there. Uh, but it's not really something that you can test and well, not, measure. Not not in not since like the 1970s. Yeah, I and mean, that's one of those things that is sort of kind of fallen by the wayside. Exactly. And so he starts he immediately goes goes in, doubles down the parapsychology thing, and starts talking about uh, Zeke and uses some choice words, and then he jumps into orbs and plasma and all these things that just yeah. infuriated me. So yeah, well, that was a that was a. A time capsule of the early to mid '90s yeah, when, absolutely. you know, things like orbs were, for whatever reason, 
um, accepted by people as something other than you know dust, insects, and light refraction. Do you not like orbs? There I are don't know. there. We we did cover that, I believe. Oh, there times. are no orbs. Um, orbs are not ghosts. So. We can just kind of leave that alone. Uh, but, yeah, that was a thing at the time, as was calling yourself a parapsychologist when you have a degree in library science. Or you're a doctor in something else, and you pretend like that's in parapsychology, and no one has a school of parapsychology anymore. That died out in, the, in L.A. in, like, the early 80s, I right. believe. They stopped doing those. Um, so you can, you can get one from the back of a magazine, but uh, it's not for real or off the internet. I, I'm not even sure they do that anymore. I might actually so, try to get one just to get the certificate. Yeah, well, I, I am a, I am a, an ordained minister. Right. Yeah. yeah because one of those kind I got of it from the internet. So you can also get a doctorate in all kinds of things or a professorship or I don't know, whatever the hell, right. um, off the internet. And, but uh, that doesn't necessarily make you a, an actual parapsychologist. Right. Or, so. or likable. Or, um, or a, or a minister for that matter. <laughs> but apparently I can sign things cause I've done it. There so, you go. Yeah. You're anyway. like a glorified notary. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you're right. That is exactly what it is. So, so. okay, well, I let's. I do want to dive in though to your stories. I, there's a bunch of them. Um, let me let me tell you that the the stories were not just. These aren't stories that just appeared in books and mm-hmm. in you know Life magazine and that kind of thing. Because I had a woman come to me who told me. As far as I can tell, it's the, the oldest limp ghost story, limp mansion ghost story there is. Okay. Um, she came to me in the early, it was in the early 90s, probably 93, 94. And she came to me with a story about how she had had a, I believe, a friend who lived in the house. And this was in 1949. So this would have been like late in the year after Charles had committed suicide, after it had been turned into a boarding house. And they snuck into the house. Um, it was, she said it was vacant. So maybe it hadn't been turned into a boarding house at the time. But they had gotten in the front door and they had gone up the main staircase and they were climbing up the stairs and saw a ghost. And she said that there was a woman who came around the corner and walked to the top of the stairs and of course, you know, needless to say, they ran for their lives. They were just kids yeah. who lived in the neighborhood. Um, but she had never told that story to anybody. She told that to me when, uh, I guess, like I said, it was in the early 90s. And um, she was pretty old at the time. So this was a story that had been around for a while that she kind of hung on to. And um, as far as I know, that's one of the first ghost stories that was ever told. I'm sure there are others. Mm-hmm. But that was the first experience that someone had had prior to you know the 70s when I and I talked about it in the story that the haunt hunters were there and they were there a couple of different times but the the one that I recounted in the monologue was kind of like their like the the best story Mm -hmm. was one of the best stories when they were there with the Ouija boards because that was their big thing because back in the 70s when you did an investigation that's that's what you used I Mm -hmm. mean you used a Ouija board and tried to get information from you know whatever you know, ghosts might be there that might be willing to speak. We, we, we've talked about the haunt hunters in earlier episodes, the mm-hmm. police station and stuff when right. we first started. I looked and for we'll, that video too. And we'll, we'll talk about them some more uh, later on, but um, they're, they're, you know, that night they were there, they had a lot of these students who were coming up with weird things. These are the SLU and, students. Yeah. Okay. Who, who should not have, you know, or, or were very skeptical about the whole thing and right. came up with information that claimed they talked to a ghost named Charles and, you know, who was trying to reach Edwin. And right. that's 
that's that's weird. And I mean, they at that time they didn't stuff. know about Charles. Yeah, the, the students didn't. Right. I mean the the you know the the haunt hunters and and Dick Pointer knew, mm-hmm. but the, the students didn't know anything about it. Right. And that was the late seventies. So that's how long this place has been on the radar of of ghost people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it made that nineteen eighty Life magazine. Um, which, by the way, if you ever run across, has Walter Cronkite on the cover, just to All put right. that in a time capsule for you. And it's really not even an article about the Lint Mansion. It just has nine different houses that are known for being haunted oh, around okay. the country. And it's more photos. I mean, it's Life magazine, so it's more photos than it is information. Mm-hmm. But that's kind of what put them on the map. Um, after that, I think the first the first story that I had ever run across, it, like in a book, was uh, I believe it was written in the very early '90s, like ninety ninety one, um, was the first, and it was questionable information mm-hmm. as it turns out in hindsight. But it was one of the first times I ever saw it in a book. Uh, but I think that it was the '90s, early '90s, mid '90s when things started to really take off. You know, outside of the St. Louis area, I think around St. Louis people knew it as a haunted house thanks to newspaper stories and the haunt hunters mm-hmm. and that kind of thing, but. Um, it was the early '90s when it really started to take off around the country. And so, so, so with this one of the old, like the oldest ghost story there, you think you have some opinions about the identity potentially well, of that ghost? Can you tell me a little bit yeah, more? about Yeah, I mean, you know, I've heard a lot. Of, I mean, there's lots of different stories, as you know, yeah, uh, circulating about who haunts the house. Um, if I had to pick a couple of ghosts, or the main, I think the main spirit who haunts the house is Charles. Mm-hmm. I think he's the one most tied to it. Um, not necessarily even in death, but in life. I mean, this was a guy who had lived there pretty much his entire life until Billy had kind of pushed him out for a few, you know, for a few years where he lived at the racket club. And then as soon as he got the chance, he moved back in, he renovated, moved back in and stayed there for the next 20 years of his life, next two decades, um, and, and died there, committed suicide in the building. So I think if you had to find a particular person who haunted it, it would be Charles. Um, but there have been a lot of reports of women who have been seen in the house. A lot of people who have visited there, who have stayed the night there, claim that they have seen the apparition of a woman. And a lot of people just want to assume that it's Lillian because, and I think they do that because, well, she's got the best nickname, mm. you know, and that was an eye roll I just gave Cody. Um, you, you can't you see it on the podcast, but you could probably hear it. Um, she had the best nickname as the Lavender Lady. So right. a lot of people who, and I'll be honest with you, I mean, you could go out there and scroll around on YouTube, and there are a lot of dimwits who have posted stuff. I'm sorry, but oh, and Cody I, just gave me a look. I but don't know. There are a lot of dimwits who have posted things about the Lint Mansion and who, who know nothing about the history of the Lint Mansion, know nothing about the family, don't even know what Lillian Hanlon's name was. And I watched and all of them. And yet will call, them, call her the Lavender Lady because that's all they remember. So, you know, because that's all they can remember, well, she must be the ghost. Um, Lillian, Lillian never actually lived in the house, ever. Um, she, I'm sure undoubtedly spent time there because, you know, she was married to Billy at a time when the family was still living in the house. Um, you know, before William committed suicide, before Julia died in that six years there between the time they got married and Julia's death, I'm sure she was in the house countless times, but she never actually lived there ever. Um, she and Billy lived in a house just down the street, but never lived there. 
And I don't know any reason why she would haunt that house. Yeah. I mean, I can't find any reason for it at all. None. I mean, there's zero connection to the house. And that seems to be the key with ghost stories is you need to have some kind of connection to the place that you're haunting. Right. And Lillian had none. Um, it's ghost so, 101. Yeah. I, I think that if there is a woman who haunts that house, I believe it, it could be Elsa. Um, she did live there for a good part of her life as a childhood and even part of her adult life. She didn't die there, but it's possible that, you know, she returned to a place, as I, as I mentioned in the monologue, she returned to the place that she probably knew a lot of happiness during her life, you know, before her father died, before Frederick died, for that matter. Um, the other candidate would probably be Julia, mm-hmm. uh, who did die in the house, who also spent most of her adult life there. Um, her parents owned it. After her parents, she and her family moved in. She raised all of her children there at the house. She died there of cancer in the house. Um, the house was renovated in, in to for her to suit her because, you know, they put in the elevator because she couldn't go up and down the stairs. So she made a huge impact on that house. And so if there are any women who are haunting that house, I believe it would be the two of them. And I'm basing that on, you know, a lot of people claim they have seen an apparition of a woman in period dress. Um, So that might explain who it was. Um, I still believe that any spirits who are in the house, the most dominant one would be Charles. Um, yes, William committed suicide there, but I've never had anybody who's said that they believe that they've encountered his ghost there. In fact, if anybody had, it would have been his own family, uh, because that happened in 1904 and they were in the house until 1949 Mm -hmm. in one way or another. I don't think there was any mention of ever encountering his ghost. Uh, most of the ghost stories came after Charles's death in 1949. So that's who probably I would, I would connect with the house most closely yeah no that makes sense and you also have a a story from uh some period during the restoration yeah this was a secondhand store i just like this story um and i did mention that there was a painter who came in to restore the ceilings in the house um and he stayed all night there and he's the one who told um uh, dick about the cobblestones that he'd heard a horse this is a different painter um After that, they had actually discovered there was another ceiling that needed to be restored, which is the front dining room. So if you go to the Lint Mansion and you walk in the front doors, directly to your left is Billy's old office. That's where Billy died, in that small room. And they have a picture of uh, a painting of Lillian Hanlon in that room. That's the room where Billy committed suicide. Mm -hmm. On the opposite side of the room... Um, is a dining room that was originally a parlor used by the Limps. And um, it's a pretty large room. There is a fireplace, a big fireplace in the room. And there's also, um, maybe I shouldn't mention this, but there is actually a little secret compartment on that fireplace. Okay. Um, If you find just the right spot, you can actually punch a button and a compartment opens up on the fireplace. Was there a revolver in there? uh, No, there's no revolver, but something must have been in there at one time. But um, I'll leave that. I'll leave that as it is. Mm -hmm. Uh, But there is a secret compartment on this particular fireplace. But the ceiling in that room, if you look up, you'll find a a pretty beautiful ceiling in that room. Well, back in the 70s, that ceiling was covered with paper. 
And uh, nobody knew that it had been one of the painted ceilings in the house until some of the paper came loose. They tore it away and realized that there was this beautiful painting that had been done on the ceiling underneath. And so they decided to have it restored. Now, the only way to do this was to bring in scaffolding and bring in a painter who could actually get up on the scaffolding and lay up there and repaint the ceiling because it needed a lot of touch-up work because someone had papered over it with glue and I mean it was in pretty rough shape yeah. but it, you could tell it was going to be something great so they brought in an artist who uh, who did exactly that brought in his paints brought in his materials and would work up there during the day well one day this particular artist was working on the ceiling and came crashing down the scaffolding and said I can't be here anymore I, I have to leave and rushed out the front door and never came back um, in fact, he had to send a friend to come pick up his materials. He refused to come back to the house. So, you know, everybody thought, well, that was really weird. So they mm -hmm. had to be, get this other guy, the cobblestone guy, had to get him back to finish the work that needed to be done. And about a year later or so, they opened the house up as kind of a grand opening for the restaurant. As I said, it was a few years before the end came along. And they... You know, had a lot of people coming in, a lot of VIP invitations and that kind of thing. Well, they had this old guy who showed up, and he came in the front door, and it turned out he had been a driver for the Limp family back early on. So he was probably in his 80s by this time, and he had been a driver for the family. And he'd come in, and they were showing him around some of the things that had been done, the restoration work, and he had walked into this particular dining room, and he looked up at the ceiling, and he started to laugh. And they said, well, what is it? And he said, well, you know, it's, it's funny because uh, William Limp had hated the ceiling. He did, after it was finished, he never liked it. And so he had some of the workers paper over it. He just didn't, he couldn't stand the way it looked. So they had papered over the ceiling. And um, when this artist had fled the house, had been laying up on the scaffolding, he said that, he had been lying up there and he'd had this overwhelming feeling that someone was angry. And it, it, it just, he felt this like cold chills go through his body. And he just had this terrible sensation of someone was really upset with him and that he just, he couldn't go on, it couldn't work. And uh, this driver had said, you know, this William Limp just hated this painting, you know, and so he had it papered over and he didn't want anybody to ever see it. And it had remained covered until the 1970s, mm -hmm. well, finally this guy comes in, they peel off all the paper, and he starts restoring it, and he has this sudden feeling that somebody's angry and he needs to flee the house. And so, uh, you know, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I know for a fact it was William Limp's ghost who showed up and, and you know, right. got this artist to flee the house, but I always liked that story. I always yeah. thought it was just, it was a cool story, and it was one that I just, I just always liked. No, I like it. That's it's really yeah, funny. And, and like I said, I've had plenty of, you know, my own personal experiences in the house. And, and I said that in monologue, I've had lots of, you know, weird, you know, we've heard voices and footsteps and I've been there a lot of nights with mm -hmm. people who claim they've had their own encounters and, you know, not all of which I can vouch for, but there have been a few that, yeah. that I can vouch Please. for. Please. Um, yeah, go for it. My favorite story and my friend Dave Goodwin was there, so he could vouch for this. Um, Dave, if you maybe have heard us mention him earlier on in the podcast is, um, in a couple of different episodes, he wrote mm -hmm. a book about Jefferson Barracks in St. Louis, uh, which we'll, we will get to, uh, in the podcast, uh, in a future episode. 
And um, he was there at the Mineral Springs that night. Uh, Dave's a police officer, yep. a, a, a military veteran. In fact, he's still, a, still in the military, but he did several tours in Iraq. And um, Dave was there that night when this happened. But um, one night I decided that I would rent the entire house on the anniversary of Charles Limp's suicide. So May 10th. I, yeah, I know, right? Well, I have also rented the house on uh, the anniversaries of William Limp's suicide. And, you know, just... You know, you just never know what might happen. You're just a weird so guy. Is that I rented, yeah, I rented the house one night in May and had a bunch of friends over, and we decided that, you know, because the early investigations that were done at the house by the Haunt Hunters, they always involved Ouija boards. We thought it would be cool to take a Ouija board up to the attic. Mm -hmm. um, and, and again, keep in mind, the attic was unfinished back then. It hadn't been turned into guest rooms. And uh, so I think a lot of people probably had the same idea. Um, you know, it was unfinished. You could get up there because you'd rented the house, but it was kind of a mess. Uh, people had left stuff up there. And I think other people had had the same idea because we had found there were a bunch of these like little, um, little candles that had been left around and stuff. So we decided it'd be kind of cool to try this. So we, we went up and, um, we set up a table and we set up a Ouija board and it was me and Dave and uh, I think a couple of other friends, three or four other friends. Uh, my friend Darren was with us, um, Rex and Amanda. That There were several of us up there that day. And we decided it would be kind of cool to try this. So this went on for like 45 minutes and absolutely nothing mm -hmm. happened. I mean, we were, you know, if there's anybody here, you know, we did the, the everything you're supposed to do and absolutely nothing happened. And I think that... I'm trying to remember who the last two people were, and I'm not sure if one of them was Dave and one of them was my friend. I'm not sure on that. So um, all I know is that the, there were a couple of people doing it, and then this had been about 45 minutes, and they finally said, you know, I give up. You know, somebody else can try this uh, because I'm not going to do it. And as soon as one of them said that, we heard this noise, and it was like, like that. I mean, it's the best way I can describe it. And... Even though no one had been near it, one of the candles that had been left in the room had gone from one side of the room all the way to the other, had slid across the floor under the table where the Ouija board was sitting. Wow. I mean, we, we all heard it, mm -hmm. and it slid across the room and then saw it. Um, I don't think I've ever seen anything quite like that, ever. Yeah. Um, but... There were five of us there who saw it. It wasn't just me. Mm -hmm. um, and all of them, and Dave and, and Darren, I know for sure, he, we've, we've all talked about it since then um, and still remember that. Um, and that was, that was weird. Um, we had another night. I, I did the same thing. This, this, I think, was maybe a year or so later. Uh, we did another um, session we, up there in the, in the attic. We had, there was a, a uh, group of young guys, and I hear from one of them every once in a while, but a group of young guys and um, a friend of theirs who brought them. There were four of them and me, and we had all gone up to the attic, and they were using the Ouija board around a table. And it was one of those nights where they thought they were, you know, things were seemed to be happening. They seemed to be getting some kind of messages. And I'm going to date this back to around 2000 three or four. And the reason that I know that is because I had a brand new, at the time, brand new, it had to have been 2004. And I'll tell you why, how I know that. Okay. I had bought a brand new Sony camera and I had used it. I had bought it using my advance for Weird Illinois. 
Nice. So it had to have been 2004 because it was expensive. Yeah. I mean, people have no idea, you know, the, what we take for granted now, equipment-wise. What's in your phone and yeah, stuff. Yeah, you, you don't understand what these prices were like 15, 16 years ago. Mm-hmm. And I had bought this brand-new Sony camera, and it was the first digital camera that you could buy that had all of the information that you could use to verify. It was as good as a negative. It was that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. It was a big camera, and it had the very first Sony night shot on it. And that's not going to mean anything to you. Nope. But back in the 2000s, night shot was the very first camera you could use for still shots and videos that would show that green Mm -hmm. looking picture, you know, and it was the only thing you could use with zero light and it would still work. So I was taking still photographs with this camera of these guys doing this Ouija session and there is one photograph that came back of it, and there was only three people in the room, and there was a fourth blurry figure yeah. standing behind the table. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. And it's this scary. was a – and I took this picture, and I showed it to the, the fourth person who was with us because there were two of us standing outside the room and then the three guys at the table. I showed it to him, and he said – Okay, guys, that's enough. We're done for now. Let's let's come back to this later. And that was the end of it for that night. And it is a weird picture. And we're gonna we'll post it uh, in the I don't know wherever Cody wants to post it. Yeah. The show notes are on the website or whatever. So if you're listening to this episode, um, we'll have that picture up at the same time we post this episode, so you can see it. If you haven't seen it before, I I have posted it before, um, but. That was weird. It looked, I mean, that it, was. It spooky. looks like um, like a picture, or like a thing in a horror movie when something scary like moves back and forth exactly, really fast. Exactly. Know? That is exactly what it looks yeah, like. Yeah, it's uh, it's super. And creepy. keep in mind that except for a tiny little light on the table, there was it was it was black. It was zero, you know, zero light in that room except for just a little tiny light they had on the table to illuminate the Ouija board. I mean, I've got some other pictures that illustrates that, but mm-hmm. this particular picture of this figure standing behind them was freaky. The more I, I mean, look at it, it the freaky. worse it gets. So yeah, it was, it was freaky. Um, I think the last experience I had there was with my friend John Winterbauer. Uh, John and I were there one night, and we'd had a group there. And we um, – it was, a, I, I don't know, 4.30, 5 o'clock in the morning, and everybody had left but John and I. And we were kind of going around straightening things up because it was a, a night, and they were going to be open for lunch the next day, so they already had the tables set. So we were making sure that everything was where it was supposed to be. And we were up front in, in what was Billy's office in the front room. And we heard back in the atrium area that William had built for Julia, you know, with the yeah. plants and stuff. We heard glass shattering on the floor. I mean, like a whole bunch of glass shattering on the floor. So we kind of in a panic thinking that maybe somebody had left something, you know, a glass sitting on the edge of the table or something hurried back there to find out what was going on. When we got back to the room, um, like I said, everybody was gone. The room was empty. Every glass was exactly where it was supposed to be. Uh, There was no broken glass on the floor, but he and I both clearly heard the sound. And that, that left an impression, I think, on both of us. I mean, we couldn't explain it. I mean, wherever this glass was shattering, it wasn't where we were. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Uh, so it was, it was very strange. Um, uh, but so if anybody had to ask me, do I really think the Lint mansion is haunted? Um, I would say absolutely. Um, not by any monkey boys, 
Um, I don't think it's by the Lavender Lady, mm-hmm. uh, but I do think that the house definitely is haunted. There's definitely uh, a haunted history there, and it may be more than one kind of haunting. You know, we've talked about that, too. Mm-hmm. It may be just impressions of the past, maybe explain some of the sounds and the footsteps. Right, and glass um, and But stuff, I think yeah. it's a possibility that there is still a, you know, intelligent you know, viable spirit there in whether it's Charles or Elsa or Julia, I don't know. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, those are my top candidates, especially Charles. But um, I definitely do think that I I really legitimately think that Lent Mansion is haunted. Well, that that is a perfect segue into our uh, (laughs) our next segment um, here. We get, you know, tweets and emails and things like that from people asking questions. And You've already answered this, so I'm going to go a little bit deeper into it. But okay. the, qu- the question was essentially, does Troy believe in ghosts, or do we believe in ghosts? Obviously, you do, but can you tell me a little bit more about, I mean, your beliefs, but then also mentioning, we've, we've touched around it before, but what you think is um, a difference between uh, traumatic history that just repeats itself versus an intelligent entity, or what are your thoughts? Sure, yeah, this? I mean, you know, yes, I do believe in ghosts. You um, heard it here first. Do I, do I believe every story I hear? I, Obviously not. Um, otherwise, I would be out searching for records of the monkey boy, right. uh, which don't exist. Um, so, no, I don't believe every story that I hear. And a lot of times people tell me stories, and I don't know if they're true or not. Um, the people who tell them to me believe they're true, and so I take it as a real story, um, real as in, as opposed to true. For a true story, for me, it's got to be something I've witnessed myself or experienced myself. A real story um, is a story that is told to me by a real person uh, about a real event that they believe really happened to mm-hmm. them. Um, that doesn't make it any less true. It's just I can't vouch for it. Right. You know, I th- do I think it's a legitimate story? Yeah, nine times out of ten, yeah, I do. Um, they wouldn't tell it to me if it wasn't something they'd really experienced. But um, so, yes, I do believe in ghosts because, I mean, obviously I wouldn't have been doing this for 25 plus years if I didn't believe there was something to all this. Um, but you know, I think there are different types of haunted places. I think there are different types of hauntings. And as I said, we've talked about this before, but in a nutshell, I think that the majority of hauntings, maybe even 90% of hauntings are, are nothing more than history repeating itself. It's a haunting in that it is history that has imprinted itself on the atmosphere of a place and then repeats itself over and over again. I think most battlefields, Battlefield stories that you hear are, you know, events, traumatic events, you know, someone died, you know, in the spot or so much violence happened there that it left an impression behind. Um, Like the, for instance, uh, we haven't talked about Chicago, but we'll get there eventually. The St. Valentine's Day Massacre story is a perfect example of that. Um, I've always believed that the event that took place when, you know, Al Capone's mob gunned down seven members of the you know, Moran gang, you know, the, in this garage, um, I think it left an impression behind. It was an extremely violent event that happened um, in a very small, confined area. And I think that it left an impression that maybe not all people can pick up, but I believe animals always have, because that's always been the legend about Clark Street. Uh, when you come along Clark Street, it, it was always said that dogs would react to this area. And I don't even know if they're reacting to the fact that these men were killed here, but there was a dog in the garage that day who had a very traumatic, in fact, was so traumatized by the shooting, they had to put the dog down afterward. So I've always wondered if maybe that dog's trauma left an impression behind that that's what these dogs are picking up. So 
that's a bit of a tangent, but you understand what I'm saying, mm-hmm. that I think that most of these hauntings are, you know, an impression that's left behind. And I think that might explain, you know, the footsteps and the noises and things at the Lint Mansion. Now, when people interact with the spirit, when something happens that you can kind of trace to um, someone actually being there, and, and as an example, I'll use this as, you know, uh, my friend Anita, her daughter Amy was was trying to go to sleep, and she turns over, and there's a woman standing this over her bed mansion, right? at the Lint Mansion who looks at her and says, "Shh." Now that wasn't that's not a repetition of anything from the past. That's right. a ghost actually interacting with Amy. Yeah, and that I would call that an intelligent spirit. That's a ghost that interacts, like you know Charles passing on messages to these students from SLU about trying to reach Edwin, you know, that's, that's interaction, Mm -hmm. you know, that's not in an imprint of some kind of history. So that's a couple of different kinds. I mean, I think you could probably go even wider and there's probably more, you know, different types of, of hauntings and, and things, you know, if we continue to go from there, but I think those are the two that you run across the most, um, especially, these impressions, this residual haunting. Right. I think that's probably more common than anything else. But so, but to answer your question, yes, I do believe in ghosts. I mean, and I can answer that as a smart ass and say, <laughs> I wouldn't be doing this for 25 years if I didn't believe it. Right. Uh, because that would make me a scumbag, you know, <laughs> if I had been trying to take advantage of people over something I didn't believe. And I do believe in it. I mean, you know, not every single thing that ever happens to me, am I sure it's a ghost? Not every story I ever hear, do I think it's got anything to do with ghosts? But yes, overall, I definitely am a believer, for sure. Awesome. Well, I'm glad we finally got that (laughs) on the record. um, (laughs) People ask me um, a lot now, too. They say, okay, since you've been doing the podcast, do you believe more or less, or what do you think? And um, I always disappoint them because I say I actually believe in ghosts less, but here's the caveat. <laughs> what it is is that I think about 80% of – again, I'm not there for these stories people tell me. You know, I can't, yeah, I can't sure. verify it, but I think about 80% of what would happen or what happens is probably a lot of people's imagination run away from them. They're in a scary place, and they, they start to build things. I think about 15% of it is probably residual stuff that I think – has a scientific explanation that we don't understand sure. yet, but it's still something there. Well, I think that's the, I think that's a perfect definition of a residual haunting. For sure. I'm not sure that that's anything to do with ghosts. We call it a haunting because we can't explain it. Right. Um, but I think that's a natural part of our world. Yep. We just don't know how it works. Exactly. And yeah. then that last 5% yeah. is where I go, I don't know. I don't know. And, and honestly, when you talk about you know, even the term intelligent haunting or whatever, that's, yeah. that stuff. I don't know if I want to know. That's the, <laughs> that's the really scary stuff, you know? Yeah. And, and so I, if, cause I'll never say I 100% know this or that or the other thing, because I think that's, that's ignorant and I don't want to leave myself open to that. But cause I know there's weird stuff that goes on. There's, oh, stuff, yeah, there's stuff I can't explain. And yeah. again, I wouldn't be doing this stuff too, if I right, didn't exactly. you know, have some kind so, of belief. I mean, it. we've got, we've got ghosts and then we've got all the rest of the stuff. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're just dealing with ghosts. Imagine if we started dealing with Bigfoot and the Loch Ness monster and every other yep. monster that's that you know, tracked through somebody's backyard, <laughs> like the North American I, Field Guide. To yeah, monsters, I like can't that. exactly. Yeah. I can't. Uh, I don't even know where to start with a lot of that stuff. And you know, maybe someday we'll get to some of that. Maybe we'll do a season on that kind yeah, of thing. Maybe. You never know. But um, at this point, you know, I think we've got our hands full with ghosts. Yes. And uh, that's hard enough to understand, yeah. you know, let alone getting into all the rest of it. So, yeah, yeah, I, I, I agree with you on that. And I think 
going along with the theme I was talking about earlier, be more like actively skeptic. I think I need to go to more of these places that we talk about and and put myself into those situations yeah. a little bit to with an open mind to see kind of what happens because I'm I want to believe. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, right, right, those. exactly, exactly. Um, But at the same time, I, I'm not. I would never be the guy that walks in and is like, you know, come at me, ghost. Like, yeah. I think that's dumb. No, that it's is really asking dumb. for trouble. That is really whether dumb. I believe in it or not. I yeah. don't want to know if that. Yeah, like yeah. nothing good ever comes from no confrontation. Uh, like yeah, that. it's it's like why I still don't want to look in the mirror and say Candyman three yeah. times. You know, it's just I know it's just a movie, but why take a chance? Yeah. You What's know, the point? I mean, why be stupid? You know, so uh, <laughs> awesome. Uh, that's well, should have. we get things wrapped up? Yeah. I think we probably should. Let's so um, anyway, guys, thanks for listening. Thanks for enduring uh, six episodes on the Limp family. I hope that you enjoyed it, uh, at least most of it. Was it, it only was six? One of those things. Was it only six? It seemed like 60. But um, we really appreciate you hanging in there for it, and we hope you enjoyed it, and we hope that you'll keep listening. Um, as I said, we've got a few kind of special episodes coming up over the next uh, couple of weeks, and we may even have some surprises mixed in with that too. Uh, from some of the locations that we're going to be visiting soon that I don't even want to give that away for you yet, but there's a chance you may have some um, on-the-scene podcasts coming up yep. uh, from some various places. So we'll, we'll see. Uh, but we will be back with more St. Louis episodes as the summer goes on. Um, after we've gotten through the limps, we actually do have a number of other episodes planned uh, before we get to the, the exorcism, which is going to be um, a whole, other, a whole other story, um, which I think that you're going to enjoy because I can pretty much, in fact, I'm going to guarantee you that you're going to hear some things in those episodes of the podcast that you've never heard before, which are actually true because you can hear some shit that is right. not true in regards to the St. Louis exorcism, but I'm going to give you some stuff, some firsthand stuff that's never been recounted anywhere before. Uh, as we come up on the podcast. So I think that you'll enjoy that. So anyway, thanks again for listening. Um, please, as we've asked you to do before, uh, leave us some reviews on iTunes. It makes it a lot easier for people to find us uh, when they go into search for uh, ghost podcasts or hauntings podcasts. Um, they can find us a lot easier if they have your reviews to build on. So uh, please do that for us. And uh, thank you so much. And uh, we'll ta I will talk to you next time. And take it away, Cody. The American Hauntings Podcast is a way to combine historic record, folklore, science and observation, and imagination to uncover more about America's most haunted places, including St. Louis, Missouri. American Hauntings is a bi-weekly podcast. You can hear new episodes every other Tuesday, so please tune in to hear our latest episode and help us take a brand new look at history and hauntings. You can learn more about our podcast and find new episodes on iTunes by searching for American Hauntings or by going to AmericanHauntingsPodcast.com. We also have links to some of Troy's books, as well as information about his upcoming ghost tours, events, and haunted happenings. As for your host, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at CodyBeckSTL or at CodyBeck.com. You can find Troy on Instagram at TroyTaylorGram, on Facebook at the Troy Taylor Author page, or at AmericanHauntings.net. This episode of the podcast was written by Troy Taylor, and it was produced and edited by me, Cody Beck. Some of the music in this episode was written and recorded by Charlie Brockus at Lighthouse Sounds in Alton, Illinois.